This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. Life and ministry and contained in those gospel accounts as his teaching and then individual conversations that he would have with people and we would know their background and we would know their question and and he would respond a certain way and what we're doing in this series as christians as christ followers that's what uh, a christian means someone who follows jesus as his disciples that jesus teaching should be very important to us and then jesus teaching takes on a whole um different level of importance for everybody after the resurrection Um, because he did what he said he was going to do, and because we know that he is God come in the flesh to the earth, that what he said when he was on the earth should have a measure of importance to us, and especially those of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus. Um, So as we look in this series, we're saying that Jesus is our life mentor. He's not our religion mentor. He's teaching us about life. He's teaching us about how to live our lives. And uh, in week one, we talked about the seeds of God word, God's word, that we want to plant his seed um, of his word in our hearts and in our lives. And as that seed is planted over and over again, over a period of years and uh, over the period of our journey of faith, that those seeds grow up. And then the second week, we talked about Christ who heals. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about unforgiveness. And then last week, we talked about worry. So one of the things uh, I was trying to get to with the last two weeks, um, talking about unforgiveness, that's relating to our past in a proper way and getting over our past. And then last week, talking about worry that we shouldn't be fearful about our future um, because both of those things can get us stuck and both of those things could get us living out of kingdom ways or wasting our life stuck in the past or worried about the future. And then so what we want to talk about today is our present, our now, since we're not supposed to be living in an unforgiveness and we're not supposed to be living uh, a worried-filled life, a fretting life, an anxious life, that how am I supposed to live today? What is it that I'm supposed to do with my life? It's kind of a big existential question. What is the purpose of my existence? And then we see that Jesus um, would talk to people and he would give big answers to big questions. They would come to him with questions a lot of times that... Um, they would give him a binary choice. It's either this or this Jesus, and then Jesus would pick number three, the thing that he actually hadn't offered. And that's one of the things that we see throughout Jesus' life and ministry, that he answered questions exceptionally well. He, he came to questions, and then he didn't get stuck, and they would try to catch him, and they were never, never able to catch him in a wrong answer or a bad answer, and he always answered appropriately for the context. And so we see here one of these questions asked to him in Matthew chapter 22. Now, there was a series of questions, and this was the third question. The first question was about taxes. The second question they were asking him um, was about eternity or resurrection. And then this third and final question we see here starting in verse 34 of Matthew chapter 22. And he says this, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Now, Pharisees were a ruling group of the Jewish faith. Sadducees were another group that they were talking about. So they were all, all these religious leaders were coming and asking Jesus questions. In verse 35, it says, and one of them, a lawyer, how many know lawyers always ask good questions? Maybe. 
or a lot of them anyway. And then one of them, a lawyer, asked them, asked him a question to test him. And this is what we see a lot in Jesus' ministry. They would come to him because they didn't like what he was doing. The religious people didn't like what he was doing or how his ministry was unfolding. They would come and ask him a question to test him. He said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? What is the great... This is the question they were asking of Jesus. What is the greatest commandment of the law? Now, when we think about the law or laws in general... um, and we live in a, in a society ruled by laws, right? And in this context, too, of the time, they were living under religious rules. Um, that the commandments, we, we know we had the Ten Commandments, and then we know that those had grown to over 600 commandments, that they were under all these religious laws, all these religious ceremonies about food, about hand-washing, about the Sabbath, about all these different days. And what their life was like as it related to God was they were always nervous. They were breaking the rules. They were always nervous because there were 600 of them. And how can you remember I uh, memorize 600 rules because eventually you're going to be breaking one of them. And then when you break one of them, the religious leaders are mad at you. And then other religious people are mad at you. And it was a very heavy way to live your life relating to God. Now, we know even separate from religious rules, civil rules that we uh, live under within our society today. And then we have certain rules, and certain rules we understand, and certain rules we don't understand. Um, You know, where I drop my daughter off, my daughter, my youngest daughter takes the bus to school. And where I drop her off for the bus, there is a no stopping sign like not not a stop sign but you you know you're not able to park not not a no parking sign but you're not even able to stop there now i'm struggling with this rule i'm struggling with this sign every day because pretty much every day i'm breaking this rule i'm breaking the you know you know i'm not getting a ticket because there's no police officers there but partly what's going on in my mind every day when i see this sign i'm struggling it's no stopping but i gotta stop because i gotta get my i gotta let my daughter off for school right can you all agree with me (laughs) <laughs> and so when we, when we start to have a relationship with rules, just rules and rules alone, it's just kind of no fun. Now, if there was a person from the city there standing, and every day I had this conversation with this person, it would be a different thing. They'd be like, hey, you can't stop here for blah, blah, blah. And there's probably some reason, there's probably some valid reason, I can't think of it, but there's got to be some valid reason for this posted sign that you can't stop there to drop off your children. It doesn't make any sense to me. Every day I'm breaking this rule. Every day. And so, and this is what impersonal laws are like. When there's not a relationship, a law is a law, and then we're thinking, well, that's just a sign, and a sign is not going to tell me how to live my life. A sign is not going to tell me how fast I can drive. How does that sign know how good of a driver I am? 100, 100 kilometers, that's for everybody else. That's for everybody else who failed their driving test the first time. That's not me. And so we, we can't have a relationship with rules. And so here this lawyer is coming to Jesus and he's asking him, what is the greatest commandment in the law? What is the greatest thing? This is kind of what he's asking. In the law, in all of these laws, all the 600, what's the greatest thing? In other words, what's the greatest thing that you can't do? Is it murder? Well, we shouldn't murder and we shouldn't steal and we should certainly stop. We shouldn't stop and there's no stopping area. 
But what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus, what is the biggest thing? What is the pinnacle of the law? What is the pinnacle of what we can't do, what we're not allowed to do? And listen to how Jesus answers. Verse 37, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God. Now Jesus is not really answering the question posed to him. What's the greatest law? And then Jesus answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. So Jesus is summarizing the whole Old Testament. He's summarizing the Ten Commandments. He's summarizing all of the other laws that we would see in the Old Testament. And how is he summarizing it? We First, we love God. We start with a relationship with God. We start with relationship. We start with two people or us, us as a person and God as an eternal person. Not just a relationship with, here's what you can't do. Here's the rules. Here, I'm going to give you a set of rules. And then you follow these rules and then maybe the religious people will be happy with you and other people in the city will be happy with you if you follow the rules. But here, Jesus is framing life for us now, okay? Here's the big existential question and thought that we're going to answer about our own lives. Since we're not going to be worried about the future, we're not going to be stuck in the unforgiveness of the past, what am I supposed to be doing with my now? Jesus says, love the Lord your God. That we are created for relationships. This is why you're here. This is why you're on the earth. And this is why God has created mankind. He has created mankind for a relationship. And the first and most important relationship for all of us is our relationship to our creator. The one who created us. Not just our mom and dad. But the one who created mankind. The one who created the earth. The one who created human beings. That he is saying the starting point for life is what? Uh, love God. We are created for relationships. This is what our life is all about. We, we start out within, uh, as our lives start out, we're in relationship with our parents, a completely dependent relationship, specifically with our mother and then with our parents in general. And then we grow and then we meet other people in our family. And then we grow and meet other friends. And then we grow and we have business associates. And we grow and we are in relationships all of the time. Jesus said, though, the first and most important relationship is our relationship with him. This is the starting point of life. That we would know God. That God wants to know us. That God is interested in us. That we would then love him. And then he said the second commandment is like the first. It's what? That we're going to love other people. That we have this love relationship with God. It's not, um, we're, we're, once again, we're not looking to, to have a relationship with religious rules. That we are actually looking to have a relationship with God. And this is what I'm saying about Jesus. That Jesus is our life mentor. He's not our religion mentor. He's telling us this is the source of life. That we have life. We sang about it today. That God, God's breath in our lungs. We didn't put the breath in our lungs. Our hearts don't beat in and of ourselves. 
the life that is in our bodies has come from God. And then he's calling us then, because he has given us life, to be in a relationship. What kind of relationship? A frustrated religious relationship where we're never sure if we're in God's good graces. We're never sure if God is angry with us or not because we broke this rule, that rule, this, this thing and that thing. Or is it a love relationship? Is, is it a relationship like a father, a parent, has with its child? Let's turn over to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. So if you haven't already guessed, we're going to talk about love today. So Jesus at our starting point is this love relationship with God and then he adds to it. And it's it's sort of part B of the same commandment, the same law, the law of love. It's two sides of the same coin. It's the same thing. Here we're starting, we're loving God, and then we love people. Because we love God, then therefore we love people. That from this relationship with God, that God is calling us to a certain thing. And we see it here in John chapter 13. I love these verses. John chapter 13, verse 34 says this. A new commandment I give you. And once again, what were they thinking about when they heard the word commandments there? Oh, here's a commandment. Here's something you can't do. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And every time I read those verses, it really grips me. That this is the thing that Jesus wants his followers to be famous for. It's love. I want you to think about what I'm saying. Jesus wants us to be known for love. That we would love each other. Now as I've told you many times, I've grown up in church. I'm a lifer. I'm 46 years old. and So I've been in church 46 years, 9 months. Okay, I have been in church my whole life. My dad is a pastor, and um, the type of pastor my dad is, if you don't know, he's the type of pastor, he, he would change things a lot. In the church, he would go to a church, and then he would change a bunch of stuff. And if you don't know, what happens in church when you change stuff is some people go like, yeah, that's a great idea, I've been thinking about that for two years, and there's a bunch of people like, what? No. They don't, they don't say the bad word, in their hearts they do, but they say, heck no, we won't go. <laughs> and he's changed, he changed buildings, he changed music, he, cha- he just changed a bunch of stuff. And people within a religious world, within the context of Christian life, within the context of church, people love so much stuff. They love the denomination they grew up and they love, they love the songs they grew up with. They love the architecture that they grew up in. The church architecture. They love the decorations in the room. They love flannel graph in the children's ministry. And for those of you who know what I'm talking about, 
church kids of the world unite. And children's ministry was done a certain way, and youth ministry was done a certain way, and worship looks a certain way. And at any time within uh, Christian culture, one of those things get changed. Nobody ever read this verse or thought these thoughts when my dad was changing these things in the churches that we were a part of. Nobody said, it's okay, pastor, as long as we love each other, that's the most important thing. Nobody ever said that. And in my eight years of pastoring, which is minimal compared to the 50 plus that my dad has pastored, I've changed things because I'm a product of him. And so I've changed things over the years. And nobody ever came to me and said, it's, hey, it's okay if we change the music as long as we love each other. Because this is the thing that Jesus wants us to be famous for. See, all the rest of it, it's just stuff. It's all outward stuff. And how, the how of doing children's ministry and how the children's rooms look and the how of youth ministry and the how of worship and the things that adjust and should adjust in church as the years go by. Those things actually should change because they can get better and better. All those things can get better and better. But this is the thing that Jesus wants us to be famous for. This is the thing that Jesus wants us to be most interested in. Let's read it again. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. How has Jesus loved us? He has sacrificed himself for us. You are also to love one another by this, by this, by this. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love is about the giving of self. And that's just the only definition I'm going to focus on today so we can think about what love is. Love is the giving of self. Love is about the giving of me. How can I give myself to others? I give all of my life, I give all of my love and affection to God. And then he shows us what love is based on what Jesus has done for us. And then he says, hey, this is how I want you to love each other. This is, I want you to give yourself for other people. Now, that doesn't mean you should abuse yourself and you shouldn't take care of yourself. And you shouldn't, uh, you should, eating healthy and taking care of your body. Not, you shouldn't be ruining your life for other people. You know what I'm saying? Please be clear about what I'm saying. But love is all about the giving of self. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The greatest expression of love is giving. How we, we can give our time, we can give our resources, we can give our affection, we can give our love, we can give our prayers. That we would love one another. I mean, just starting with some of the people in this room. That we would love one another. We've got teams that serve together and you should love one another. We've got city groups that are meeting right now and you guys should love one another. And we've been thinking about the giving of myself. This is what love looks like. Love doesn't look like I want to get, I want to get, I want to get, I want to receive, I want my thing. I want this, I want that. Love is about, okay, how can I give? How can I give myself? And that the first thing that Jesus is saying is to the people that we actually know, to the people that, that you would love one another, people that are closest to you. Here's the struggle with the people that are closest to us. They're just not perfect. 
And here's the struggle with you for them. You're not perfect. You know, it's just really easy to love people you don't know in one sense. Right? We can just really love them. Oh, they're so awesome. They're so great. And we can wish they, we had their life. Or we can wish they, we had their spouse. And, you know, we have this frank, the phrase that the grass is greener on the other side. But an addendum to that is you just can't smell the poop in someone else's yard. We can be envious of other people's lives. But here God is calling us to love one another. That we would love our parents. We would love our spouse. And we would love our children. And we would love our friends. And we would think about ways. How am I going to give of myself to the people around us to the people that I know to the people that I love the most to the people that I actually know their imperfections the most God is calling us to love each other because this is what he wants us to be famous for he wants us to be known for our love and I come back to this because I think this is important for us as a church that we want to be known as a place of love. And this, you know, we, we get feedback sometimes on our connect card from new people. And one of my favorite things is, hey, so people greeted me and people said hello to me and people had a smile on their face. Why? We want people to feel loved when they come in here. It's kind of the thing that Jesus wants us to be famous for. That we would love each other. Matthew 5, <clears throat> verse 43. He says, you have heard it said, you heard that it was said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Okay, wait a minute. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to love the people that I already know. But now Jesus is bringing in another category. People that we would think are opposed to us. Or on the other side, their enemies are. And Jesus is saying, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you. What reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? In other words people who don't have a covenant with God. Or people who are sinners. They love the people that love them. That's kind of easy. If people show affection to you. You can show affection back. No problem. It's easy. I can give myself to you if you give yourself to me. No problem. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now that perfect doesn't mean without sin. It means completeness. That the completion of our love is just to move beyond as Christ followers. Moving on from just those people that agree with us and like us. Two loving people that don't like us and don't agree with us. Jesus said, like your heavenly father. Does God love everyone? That's weak. Does God love everyone? Yes. Does God love the people you don't like? Yeah. So it's, it's a different standard of love. It's not just, you like me, okay, I'll like you back. I'll love you back. I'll, you do something for me, I'll do something for you. He says, man, 
That's low-level love. I want to talk to you about the God kind of love Jesus is saying, that he loves people who actually don't love him. Is there a lot of people in the world that don't love God? Lots. Does God love them? Yes. So moving beyond the easy love, I'll call it. Moving beyond your mama. Right? And then moving beyond just the people that we know, like moving it to like, okay... Oh, you got to love your enemies and pray for those people. We're going to pray for them. Now sometimes, I know from experience, sometimes when somebody's coming against you, it's hard to muster long prayers. You can be like, Lord, help them in Jesus' name, amen. That's all I got, Father. But here, this is what Jesus is calling us to, the giving of myself. So here we've got love one another, and we've got love the enemies. Ephesians 5, 1 says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Imitators of God. Imitators of God. Love is the deepest possible expression of God. Scripture says, what does it say in 1 John? God is love. But someone says, you know, well, I, I think I've heard something about God being angry. And that God has wrath. Yeah. But wrath, you understand, comes from love. Someone's like, mm, I'm not sure if I can understand that. Okay, let's, let's think about this for a second. This is the way I explain it. If you ever see a, a parent with a child in the mall that's being contrary, like really contrary, like really disobeying, and you look at that parent, you are looking at wrath. Now, is it because they hate that child? No, it's because they love that child. And then, see, we look, I mean, you know, sweet kid, whatever, but we're not feeling wrath. We don't love that child like the parent loves the child. That, that anger, that, that anger that we see in the scripture, that why does God get angry at sin? Why does God get angry? Why is the wrath coming from God when he sees sin? Because what sin does, sin destroys your life and destroys the life of other people. That makes God angry because he loves you and he loves them. But the center of God, God is not, at the center of who God is, is not anger and wrath. It is love. God is love. The scripture doesn't say God is wrath. God is love. So the greatest expression that we could think about to express God's character to somebody else, those that we know and those that we don't like, it's going to be love. Now, do we think, let's be uh, honest with ourselves this morning, if you are a longtime Christ follower or if you're brand new, does the world think about the church as they are the most loving people in the world? 
Let's be honest with ourselves. And who are they putting on the news to speak for all Christians? Have you ever watched a news program and they put someone on there and they're like, Christian advocate. And then you're like cringing at every word that they say. Does anyone... Okay, it's just me. And this happens sometimes, though. And this person is supposedly speaking for all Christians. But we as Christians, what we're going to discover, if we live in accordance to the word of God, if we live according to this ethic that I love God and I love other people, and I'm going to live my life according to God's word, that we are going to have different convictions than other people, aren't we? Have you found this out? That if we don't want to live a sinful life and we, we think there is actually sin, which there is, which, um, you know, people are, sometimes people disagree, I'm not sure if there is actually sin, well... Let's let someone slap your mother, and then we'll see if you think that there's sin or not. <clears throat> you'll feel it in that moment. You'll be like, oh, I'm not sure if that's wrong. No, you'll know that's wrong. So here, we're going to live a life. We're going to follow Jesus. We're going to follow his teaching. We're going to have convictions about what we believe, and then we will find ourselves disagreeing with some people sometime, right? Come on now. We will disagree. This is a big thing in the world today. It's the big thing for the church world. Can we disagree with people, though, lovingly, is the question. And it is the challenge, and it is the hard challenge for us. To stay with our convictions, to stay with the word of God, to stay with the principles that we see in Jesus' teaching, and then actually be okay with disagreeing with people. No, I disagree. I don't hate you. I just disagree with you. And it would be good for us to learn to love people that we disagree with and to actually be okay and to actually be able to disagree with someone and still be in a relationship with them afterwards. Because why? Because we're displaying God's love to somebody. Are you with me today? Now, this is not the easiest thing in the world to do. Are there any places that you go, shops that you shop in? Any places that you go and things that it, people you come in contact with that you realize that your life is in disagreement with their life because you follow Jesus? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You go up there and you're like, so what are we supposed to do? Well, I can't look at them because, you know, I don't know what to do um, because I disagree with them and I'm, I follow Jesus and they obviously don't. So, hey, how's it going? Here's some money. I got to go. Or could we look at somebody and we actually love them? Could we, could we be a loving person? Because God loves us. And this is what Jesus wants us to be famous for. And what if you have a discussion, and at the end of the discussion, you still don't agree? Can you still love that person? Can you still give yourself to that person with whom you disagree? Or do we have to go on TV and talk about all the people that we supposedly hate, which we're not kind of allowed to do for following Jesus? And this is where life gets messy. Loving everybody is not easy. It's not simple. It's not simple answers to all of these big questions that we have to deal with as Christ followers. 
But this ethic of love that Jesus is calling us to is still in the scripture. It's still, it's, it should hit us in the face. These are the big questions of life. How are we going to live out the ethic of love to the people around us? To the people that we would see as we're opposed to them, they're opposed to us? Can we love them? Can we care about them? Can we be in a relationship with them? And then something really important for us as Christ followers is can we love people that are far from God and that we are know, we know that they're far from God? And this is a question for us. Our mission statement as a church is to lead people into an authentic and growing relationship with Jesus Christ. In other words, if we follow Jesus, we want to be growing. And then we also want to be able to reach people with the gospel, with the good news. That Jesus saves by grace. That everybody is invited into the family of God. That Jesus has done something for us that we could never do for ourselves. He's invited us into this relationship with God. He's invited us into salvation. This is the message of the gospel. And it's for us. And it's for everybody. And for us as a church, individual Christ followers, we should be interested in helping people that are far from God to know God. Not so we can have a notch on our evangelistic belt. So that we can actually love somebody. I heard one pastor tell a story that he witnessed to somebody over a 16 year period and then that finally that person received Jesus, said yes to a relationship with God. And I was amazed and I loved that story. That he didn't give on, up on this person and he was actually able to maintain a relationship with someone who didn't follow Jesus for 16 years. And then finally the person said yes to Jesus. The starting place for us is not can we get a notch on our evangelistic belt. The starting place is for us, can we love somebody that's far from God? And care about them and be interested in them. Whether or not they say yes to Jesus, we want them to. We desire for people to know God, yes? We want people to be in a relationship with God. But whether or not they say yes right away or they come or don't come with you to church... We're still going to love them? We're still going to care about them? Luke chapter 15, verse 1, says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Hear him who? Jesus. That the tax collectors and sinners... So in this time we had... The sinners, and they, they were sort of their own category of out of the covenant and bad people. And then, and then tax collectors were like a whole other level of bad people. They were extorting their own people. That they, were, um, they would receive taxes on behalf of Rome. But then they could charge any amount that they want. And they would skim off the top for themselves. And so they were just thought of as a really bad group of people. They were sort of turning against Israel. Turning against their own people. And then so they had their own category of badness. But the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to hear Jesus. Jesus did not repel the sinners. Do we? Why 
well, you know, I just can't be friends with anybody who doesn't go to church because I'm just so righteous and they just don't want to be around me, you know, because sin doesn't want to be around righteousness. Well, I'm pretty sure that Jesus is righteous and the tax collectors and sinners were actually coming to hear what he had to say. Does that mean that we then join in the sin? No, that's not what I'm talking about. Was Jesus joining in the sin? Was he becoming a sinner to reach the sinners? No, that's not what I'm saying. He was righteous. He was separate. He was other. But he was still able to have a relationship with people that were far from God. And they were actually interested in what he was saying. Why? Was he condemning them? Was he angry with them? Was he overly religious with them? Or was it maybe that he loved them and he cared about them? I'm going to go with the the last thing there. That they didn't feel condemned, so they wanted to hear what he had to say. So he's there, and there's, there's some people there, and they're the tax collectors and sinners. And then there's the Pharisees and the scribes grumbling, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. a lot in those two verses right there. The religious people were the ones that were mad at Jesus, that he was in a relationship with the sinners and tax collectors. So we got to check ourselves on this, people. We got to check ourselves as followers of Jesus. Jesus had a heart for people that were far from God loved them and he cared about them and then listen to the stories that he tells and it's really important to note this group we've got the tax collectors and the sinners and then we got the people the religious people the people that knew the word of God the people that were a little bit self-righteous and he's going to tell them some parables he says what man of you having a hundred sheep if he has lost one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost till he finds it. He's asking him this question. Verse 5, And when he found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Who's he saying that to? He's saying that to this group of tax collectors and sinners and then the people who think that they're the best ones. That God loves them the most because they follow all of the religious rules. But then Jesus tells a story to this group and saying the 99 that are in or think that they're in, God is going out and he's searching out for the lost one, the one that's not in. The one that's far out, the one that's uh, sort of wandering around. That God is interested in the people that aren't here this morning. loves you and he cares about you. He's interested in your life, but you know that he is also interested in people far from him. Are you, do you know this today? Rejoicing in heaven 
when people say yes to a relationship with God, that God is seeking people that are far from Him. Are we? Are we interested in these people? Any people? The people? See, kind of what I'm getting at today, we, we talked about the people that are close to us, we, we've talked about enemies, and now we're talking about people that are far from God. And that's all of the people. People, people. The people that we know, the people that we work with, the people on our street, people at our school. That God is interested in their lives. Or a woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep under the house and seek diligently until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, I have found the coin I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. He's telling us to this group, this religious group, and this group who's non-religious. And he's telling the group that think they're in and think they're okay and think we've got it all together. Hey, there's, there's people that are far from me that I'm interested in. I'm actually seeking after them. I'm inviting them in. And this should be a starting place for us. We're going to love the people around us and we're going to love our enemies and we're going to love people far from God. Ways, how, how can I give myself away? And this is what your life is for. This is what my life is for. That we can express this love, the God kind of love, the God kind of love that sacrifices himself for us. He's displaying what life is all about. Not just, can I get what I want? See, and culture will tell us that, right? And if we're a slave to the culture, this is how we will think. Everybody just needs to do for me and everybody needs to make me happy. Everybody needs to give me this and do this for me. And everybody does this for me and does this for me and, and makes me happy. I'll be great. That is not what your life is for. It never has been and it never will be. And you will never, you will never be satisfied living like that. This is what life is about. How can I give myself? How can I give myself away to others? Because God has given himself for me. Last verse. 1 John chapter 4 verse 9 says this. In this love of God was made manifest among, among us. That God sent his only son into the world. So that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God loved us, we, ought, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. His love is perfected in us. 
Do you know that we wouldn't know that God loves us if it wasn't for the scriptures? See, we, we just have that, we just think that that idea is, that's just, you know, it's just a natural idea. No, it comes from the scripture. And then the question is then, how will people know that God loves them unless we love them? So this is what it means and this is what the big idea and this is what your life is for. To receive this love, to be in a relationship with God. To know that he loves and cares for you, not not just by saying, but by action, by sending Jesus. And so we can see his love displayed. Because we see his love displayed and we accept his love, his self-giving love. Because we have that and we've received that. Man, it's supposed to change our lives. And it's supposed to make us famous for it. That we we accept it and we experience it and we know it. And that it's supposed to change us. And it's he wants us to love the people that it's easy to love, and that he wants us to love the people that it's hard to love. And he wants us to love the people that we disagree with. And that he wants us to love the people that maybe that are enemies with, and he wants us to pray for them. Kind of wants us to love because he is love. Let's just pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word today. We are so thankful for the scripture. We are so thankful for your word that teaches us about your love. And Father God, we just pray this morning. We pray that you would give us your eyes to see the people around us. The areas in which we can make a difference in other people's lives. Whether it's with time or resources or affection or compassion the areas that you're calling us to Father Lord we know that we can't do everything we just want to do the things that you need us to do Lord we want to step into that place that we can be an answer of prayer for somebody else Lord we pray that you use us to love others Lord, and help us to be captivated by these words. And help us, Lord, to be challenged by these words. And show us ways, Lord, to love people that are difficult to love. Lord, the people that we're having a hard time with. Help us to see them the way you see them. That you would give us eyes of compassion, Lord, because we know that you have compassion on each one. Help us, Lord, every day to live out this ethic of love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.